Lord Jesus, you are the risen Son of God. You live and reign and you speak to your people. So speak to us afresh today, Lord. Open our hearts today that we might hear from you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, organ, electric guitar. I'm pretty sure someone over here has a cowbell. Um, uh, hallelujah. <laughs> Nothing says Easter uh, more than, yeah, there we go, bells. Especially cowbells, more cowbell, right? Um, well, today we celebrate that a Jewish teacher killed by the Roman authorities, or was killed by the Roman authorities, was dead in the tomb for three days, actually came back to life and walked among his beloved friends, who walked among his disciples, who spoke out their name, who, who called them out by name, who transformed them from, from grief into rejoicing. He is the living God who lives and reigns today. This was a remarkable event, witnessed and recorded by many, uh, we read that in the gospel reading. And Peter, we, we heard Peter's words as read through the book of Acts today, that this was recorded and witnessed by many. And this was an event that immediately transformed the lives of every one of his followers. Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. Alleluia, alleluia. Yeah, there's going to be more of that. So kids, don't, don't put your bells away. And if your parents are like, sure, stop that. Just be like, no, pastor said I could ring my bells. That's okay. <laughs> so the res- why is the resurrection such a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because this is the grand miracle that proves that everything that Jesus said about himself is true. Because if, if we didn't have the resurrection, Jesus would just be this, this crazy guy who, who claimed to be the son of God, uh, who claimed to, forf- to forgive sins, and then when he was dead, that would be the end of the story and he would be forgotten. But he is not forgotten. History remembers him. He rose from the dead and we know that what he says is true. The resurrection is the father's great amen over God the son that sins are actually atoned for through the cross and through the resurrection. St. Paul says that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. And so death no longer has claim over him. And so for those of us who place our faith in Christ, who align our hearts with Christ, the Bible also says that we have been united with Christ. And if we have, if we have faced a death like his, then we will also experience a life like his. You see, when Jesus Christ walked out of that tomb, <laughs> not only did he defeat death, He also extends to us an invitation. He says, come and follow me. I am the door, Jesus says. I am the door. We go through the Father. We go to heaven. We go and experience God through Jesus Christ, the door, the risen one. So when you place your trust in Jesus, it means that all the dark things of this world, sin, grief, despair, doubt, None of that has claim over you anymore. It has been put to death upon the cross. And through his resurrection, he has defeated it. And so now he gives us his children, his peace, his joy, his gladness, everlasting life with him. Well, today I want us to focus in on the story of Mary. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful, personal story encounter with the risen Jesus Christ, is it not? There's just something so real about this. There's something just so raw about this story. 
It's like we're listening in on this tender moment. One scholar, he says this, is a scholar of the ancient world. He says, this story has something indefinably firsthand about it. And he says, I can't rid myself of the feeling this story sort of stands alone. and There's nothing quite like it. He says, in fact, in all of ancient literature, there's nothing like this story. What we read this morning is the account of someone who was there, someone who clung to the feet of the risen Jesus and saw his wounds there in his feet and then left and went and told her friends about it. This is a story that's been passed down faithfully to the generations so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God. So we're going to move through this. We're going to move through this in three scenes. So first, we find Mary weeping at the tomb. She goes to express her sorrow at the loss of a loved one. But she goes and she sees that this tomb has been rolled away. And her imagination immediately starts trying to to come up with an explanation of of why this might be so. And imagine being in that sort of situation where you're, you're going to the graveside of a loved one and you see that it's been defaced. And so she panics and she starts thinking, you know, maybe someone has taken the body. Maybe someone is trying to mutilate the body or or something terrible. You know, she's being re-traumatized here in this moment. So why does Mary cry? Why does Mary weep? It's because she loves Jesus. She misses her friend. It is said that Jesus cast out seven demons from Mary Magdalene that she used to be encaged by, by evil, by vile evil that controlled her. And Jesus cast that out of her. He healed her. He restored her. He gave her life back to her. But more than that, he was also the good teacher who opened up the scriptures to her in a way that lit a fire in her soul, that made her know that God is real, that God is love, that he loves me. So he was more than just her friend, more than her teacher. Mary felt more alive when she was with Jesus than at any other time in her life. And that's been taken away from her. And so now she comes to the tomb and she weeps in profound, deep sorrow. And that is the right response to death. When we are are face to face with death, when it takes our loved ones away from us prematurely, we weep. Because it is an interruption. It's an injustice. Those loved ones, we we don't have the experiences of them in our lives anymore. The encouragement, the teaching, the, the sorrows and the joys is taken away from us. And so Mary, when she weeps, we weep with her. The other women they've left at this time, the men, they go back to their home. The other gospels tell us that the men left out of fear and they actually went into a room and locked the doors because they thought they were next. So Mary is here, weeping alone. So every week we recite the Nicene Creed. It's an ancient confession of the early church. And part of that we say, we believe in God, the maker of heaven and of earth, the invisible and the visible. And the Bible teaches that actually it's those invisible realities that are more real than the visible Those invisible realities are more real than what you and I can touch with our hands or see with our eyes. That's why at communion, every week, we say, 
that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We, are, we join in the feast with angels and archangels and all the saints of heaven. Join with us in that moment. Those are invisible realities. Look up into the rafters when we say that. Maybe God will give you a glimmer of what that heavenly reality is that we are taken up into when we celebrate that feast. So why do I bring that up? Because Mary thinks that she's alone, but she's not. Mary is not alone in this moment. In reality, there are two angels that are just in front of her, and the Lord Jesus himself is behind her. You, Christian, are never alone. You are never alone. Whether you're taken up into the joys of celebration or you're lowered down into the griefs of the tomb, you are never alone. You might feel alone, but the powers of heaven are at work around you. And your grief might cloud that. They might cloud your eyes from seeing those realities or your hearts might be clouded from seeing those realities. But that doesn't change the fact that they're there. The realities of the heaven are at work around you in those moments. So in this first scene, we see that Mary is in sorrow, but she does not remain there, does she? In this next scene, heaven speaks to Mary. The angels reveal themselves and they say, woman, why are you crying? Why are you crying? There's so much gentleness in these words. They meet her where she's at. Woman, why are you crying? They, they lower down into her sorrows in that moment. They don't bowl her over with fear. They don't stand over her and, and shake her with their loud voices. They don't knock her down. It's as if for Mary, they dial back their glory and they make themselves so tender and gentle in that moment. Why are you crying? Tell me what's wrong. Share with me your sorrows. Heaven is so gentle. And Mary responds back. You hear the confusion coming out of her voice. She's, she's trying to piece together what it is that's happening before her right now. And isn't it interesting that the angels, they don't say anything back. They, they, don't, they don't respond to her. St. John Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers, says, while Mary was still speaking, Jesus appears behind her. And so now it's the angels who are in awe. The angels now see the God-man risen from the dead, standing there. And so they're silent. They know that it's his turn to talk. And so Jesus, he repeats that second heavenly question to Mary. He says, woman, why are you weeping? And he puts a finer point on it. He says, who are you looking for? That which she is most concerned about, Jesus addresses he tenderly brings this out of her. Now, she doesn't recognize him. Again, the tears of grief are powerful. They cloud us. In the Bible, I, I love this, the Bible says that she, she supposes that he's the gardener. Hmm. I'll come back to that in a minute. Jesus, the good shepherd, knows his sheep by name. He knows all of you by name. And he speaks her name. He says, Mary. It's a voice that she's heard so many times before. Mary, when he cast the demons away from her. Mary. It was the voice that, that cleansed her. It was the voice that made her stand tall 
It was the voice that comforted her soul. And she hears that voice. And instantly, that, that voice pierces through her tears. It pierces through her grief. She hears her name. And she turns. And as Mary turns, so does all of humanity. As Mary turns, history itself turns from B.C. to A.D. Before the turn, we see the woman who is in the deepest of human despair. We see a, a woman who is agonizing at this unconquerable death. What loneliness, what grief. But afterwards, she turns and she's taken to the highest of all human joy. She's in the presence of the death-conquering Lord of life. She touches him. She's the first person to behold this personal presence of the risen Lord. He's there. And as Mary turns, humanity receives hope that there is a reality. There is a person, there is a someone who is more final than death itself. Alleluia, alleluia. <laughs> and so she falls down. She clings to his feet. She clings to his feet. I'm sure she sees the holes in his feet. I can't imagine what her imagination is doing in that moment, trying to piece these things together. Reality is, is just falling apart in front of her as she holds the most realist, real thing of, of eternity, God himself, the crucified Messiah. And I can't imagine that Jesus just doesn't smile upon her. He says, woman, don't cling to me. I've got more work to do. I'll be, ascending, I'll be ascending soon. And so go to my fathers or go to my brothers and tell them that I'm about to ascend to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. That brings us to the third scene. In this third scene, Jesus sends Mary. He says, go, go, go and tell my brothers. In the early church, Mary Magdalene was called an apostle to the apostles. She was a sent one to the sent ones. While the apostles were locked away in fear and, and trembling, it's, it's Mary who went. Uh, another little Bible factoid, Mary is Mary Magdalene. Uh, Magdalene is the town that she comes from. It's a, a town that has a very huge tower in it. Magdalene means tower. In other places in the Bible, she's not called Mary. She's just called the Magdalene. She is the tower, the strong one. What dignity, what power does this Mary have? In light of the resurrection, she goes and she is a tower, a strength. She bears a message of life and hope to those who are in fear and trembling. Praise the Lord for Mary. And the message she has, oh, so beautiful. But Jesus, and I just love this, he says, go to my brothers. Now in John's gospel, this is the first time that Jesus calls the disciples, my brothers. The resurrection redefines every human relationship. We're family. We're family. The resurrection changes the way in which Jesus' followers even relate to God himself. Jesus says, I'm going to my father and to your father. I'm going to my God and to your God. I've got a one-year-old who's bumbling around the building right now. I think he's 
probably in my office asleep or something. I don't, I don't know. But sometimes he's here in the, in the front pew, and it's a little distracting for me. I, I love it. But he'll, he'll go, da-da, da-da, and he'll start to come up and try to climb the altar uh, so that I, his father, can hold him. I'm going to my father and to your father. Jesus is so excited to go back to his father. And he says, you too are brought into this. You too can approach the throne of the Father with no fear, with no worry of causing shame to anyone else or worrying about social inhibitions or, or anything. Come to my Father and to your Father. You are adopted into my family, Jesus is saying in this moment. As a child approaches their parent, we can approach our God in heaven. But also the resurrection changes how you and I and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you relate to each other. We are brothers and sisters. As I spoke of on, on Friday night, that relationship is rooted in the cross. It originates at the cross. And here, Jesus continues to remind us of this new cross-shaped, Jesus-shaped, spirit-infused, blood-nourished family of God. We are rooted in the cross. We are united in our common adoption as a spiritual family, stronger than any other family on this planet. And Mary goes. She obeys her Lord. She goes and she proclaims this message, I have seen the Lord with my eyes. I've seen him. I've sensed him. I've touched his feet. I've seen the Lord. So what does this mean for us? which I admit is a pretty silly question. What doesn't this mean for us? <laughs> the entirety of all of Christian life is to figure out what happened <laughs> and what does it mean for us? How do we apply these resurrection realities to our lives, to our relationships, to our places of work, among our neighborhoods? It's such a silly question, but I'm going to try to take a stab at it. Even though throughout the Christian life, we explore the depths of God's wisdom, we experience the power of God as he casts out sin and darkness from our lives. And by his abundant love, we get to enjoy supernatural peace and joy in a way that confounds the wisdom of this world. So two things I want to try to attempt to explain two blessings that we can draw from the resurrection. And the first is that Jesus has overcome death. This has been a hell of a week, hasn't it? A loved one from our congregation passed away on Good Friday. St. Paul says, if we have been united with him in death, then we shall certainly be united with him in a resur resurrection like his. If you don't know Jesus, I don't know how you do it. Jesus is life. He's, he's outside of this world. He's, he's life and liberty. He, he holds us through. He's conquered death. What other hope is there in this world? This world is descending into darkness more and more as the years go on. But Jesus is greater than that. Jesus has conquered death. You don't have to fear it. As St. Chrysostom says, it's just a sleep of sleeps. And then there will be a day in which Jesus says your name and lifts you out 
of the depths of death, and he'll bring new life into you. You'll see his glory. You'll see him face to face. Jesus has overcome death. If you don't know that, you can pray to Jesus now. You can say, Jesus, I want to know your life. And if you're struggling, if you're in a place of doubt, if, if maybe you have believed and now you're like, I don't know anymore. There's a reason why we call this church restoration. That's the story of half the people in this room. We've lost our faith and then we've been brought back to it by the grace of God. And that could be your story too. So you can pray to the Lord. You can ask for more faith now. If you want to pray with someone, I would love to pray with you. And also, after communion, we'll have prayer ministers available in the back who are waiting to pray with you about these things. They hold these things in confidentiality with you to pray with you. That actually brings me to the second point. Our faith isn't just a personal faith, although that is important. It is a faith experienced with brothers and sisters. Not just one day a year, but every single day. We are with our brothers and sisters. And we are with each other in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. We are the presence of Christ with one another. He breathes his life into us. And we get to speak those words to one another. And it's not fluff. It's the words of Jesus based on his promises that we read about in holy scriptures that have been proven to us by his resurrection. There's no such thing as a lone Christian. He gives you a resurrection family to participate in, to be a part of, so that we can laugh together and that we can cry together. Sometimes even in the same week. And I would have it no other way. There's no other group of people that I'd rather be with than you all. You are my brothers and sisters. Together we are icons of Christ to one another. I've seen Jesus in you this week in so many ways. I've seen Jesus in you. So I said I would circle back to that comment of mistaking Jesus as the gardener. In a sense, we can kind of chuckle and be like, well, of course, that's Joseph of Arimathea's garden. Why would Jesus be employed by Joseph? That makes no sense. But in another sense, it's absolutely true. Jesus is the gardener. This is his garden. We are his fruit. And right now, he's walking among us. He's reaching out and he's touching us. He's anointing us afresh with his Holy Spirit. He's pruning that which is not of him, that doesn't belong here. And sometimes that's painful, but he is a gentle gardener. He knows precisely what he's doing. Like a well-trained surgeon, he removes the filth from our lives so that we can bear spiritual fruit, real fruit, fruit that abides in him. He is the gardener of our souls, feeding us, nourishing us. He tends to the unruly chaos in our lives. And with gentleness, he prunes away our despair, our sin, our confusion. And he nourishes us with himself. He feeds us with himself. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, drink my blood, eat my body. And that is what we do here. In a moment, we're going to transition to the table. And you're going to come forward and you're going to put out your hands. And you might think that it's me or it's the other, other person who's placing bread into your hands. It's not us. We're just waiters. 
It's Christ's table. He's the server. He's the one who provides the meal. He's the one who reaches out from heaven and touches you in that moment. And then you, you take and you receive and you consume the risen Christ. And he abides in you. And that food nourishes your soul. It sustains you for the journey. It feeds you. It reminds you that Jesus is real and that there is a great feast to come. There's a great feast to come in which the invisible, oh, we'll see it. We will see our Lord face to face and we will feast eternally with him, celebrating his presence. Him, the gardener of our soul, the resurrected, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Alleluia. Alleluia. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, you live and reign. You are the glorious one. You are the one who descended down into the depths of shield, into the depths of, of hell. You experienced death, sin, and darkness. And then you were risen up to new life. Lord, speak our names. Lord, may we hear you. May you plunge your hand into the depths of the chaotic oceans that we are in and lift us up, Lord Jesus. Lift us up to new life in you. May we turn from grief into joy. May we turn from sorrow, Lord. And may we behold you and be filled with holy laughter. Lord Jesus, may we turn from death to life. We ask this, Christ, in your holy name, Jesus the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Amen.